So hello and welcome to this, which is our uh, Memories 8th free webinar of our Smart Building series in 2016. Uh, and it's uh, kindly sponsored by Tridium. So today the topic is physical security, Internet of Things, and the role of open standards within, within those uh, topics. Uh, and I'm very pleased to uh, welcome Per Bjorkdahl, who is the chairman of the Onviv Steering Committee. Uh, so, yeah, hi, Per. How are you? Hi. Hi, Jim. I'm just fine. Good. Very nice of you to invite me to this. Not at all. I'm looking forward to a good mm -hmm. conversation today about um, Onviv um, developments with, with your standard uh, and also then how that relates to, you know, not just the security industry, but also the IoT and, and buildings as a whole. So um, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping to start. Um, we'd love to get questions from the floor. So um, what I suggest is if uh, anyone does have questions, please type them in. That should be on, uh, you should be able to see that on your console. Um, I'll get those questions here. And then um, once Per has um, uh, reaches um, a part of his presentation, which is where is a, a pause, then we'll be able to answer those. And I'll, I'll put those questions to him. So yeah, um, I think it would be great to start uh, with um, uh, you know an introduction from yourself and also a bit of background about Onviv and, and where we are at the moment. Thank you. Well, I'm Fabio Tol, and I work with my my day work is with Access Communications. That's been in the network with you for, a, for quite some time. And the interesting part at this point in time, like 17 years later, is that we started out in the IT era by doing totally different equipment and have been for the past years taking the network to this industry. And it's interesting to see how things merge together now. It's physical security, it's IoT, it's open standards. And I don't think we really could have dreamt about this like eight, ten years ago. And since five years back, I'm also the chairman of ONLIF. And ONLIF is a technical alliance that work with standardization in the IP security area. And currently, we're focusing on video meaning network video cameras, uh, mainly used for, for surveillance and those sorts of applications. And also we, we work with the physical access control or EACS, uh, known, known in other areas. And the work is all about uh, creating interoperability around these products. But to start off, I will, I will uh, do a little bit of a presentation of ONMIF. So it says here that we're committed to provide and promote open interfaces because we think it's equally important to promote those interfaces, not just providing them. We have lots of brilliant engineers that make specifications and make these things work to be work together, but we also need to promote them to the market. So the cornerstones that it's about standardization and the communication between IP-based physical security products, and it's only IP-based. So if it's not IP-based, sorry, no wonder. And it's focusing on interoperability regardless of brand. Uh, things are like giving the, uh, the users, the end users, the installers uh, a choice, what type of brands they want to put together so they can really work with the best of breed types of installation. And we're open to all companies and organizations, not only manufacturers. It could also be the uh, media. It could be uh, think tanks like Memory. It could be system integrators uh, and so forth. Uh, we have been quite successful in our work with standardization to, to li liaise ourselves with international standardization like the IEC and the ISO. 
So currently we are, how should I say, incorporated in four different, three different standards with IEC. That is for video, access control, and video equipment in trains, in train sets. We are also a liaison to the ISO JTC1, which is working with the high efficient video encoding, or more, more known as H.265, which is the new encoding format that will be, I think, in a few years from now, it will be totally dominant in, in, in the uh, network video area. We have a very clear mission and vision, and that is to provide and promote open interfaces to the security industry for effective interoperability. And we have a vision, and that is that all security systems share one interface. And I think when you talk to the industry that we have sort of passed the point of no return for this. I will be claiming later on in this presentation that if your security product doesn't have an IP interface at some point or some level, I don't think they will survive that long, actually. The timeline of the organization, and uh, when I pass this, you'll be free to ask questions as well is that we started in 2008. It was Axis, Sony, and Bosch that came together, and quite quickly we came up with a core specification 1.0. And already in 2009, less than a year later, we, we uh, came out with a release of a test tool and conformance procedures. So products were able to, uh, to actually prove conformance to the ONVIC standard at that time. And about a year after we started, we already had about 100 members. We had about 200 products that were tested conformance. But not too long after that, we started to see some, some issues, actually, uh, around, around 2010, that even though we had a, a standardized communication protocol, products didn't really seem to be interoperable that much. So we did uh, what other technical alliances have done, we, we formed profiles where we sort of bundled together numbers and function. And already in, in actually see uh, profile S, 2000, it's too small numbers here, but I can see somewhere it. 2012. So again? Yes, yeah, I can, I can see that profile S. Yeah, so around 2012, we, we started to do this profile, and that makes things more easy. If you were profile S conformant, that meant if you have a VMS and a camera, they actually exchange information about the same features and functions. Already in 2011, uh, IEC started to be interested in this because there was a new work for electronic access control systems started, so they... Uh, they actually adopted part of that on the, on the what they call integration or transmission protocols based on web services. The same thing happened in 2011. And then in 2013, we had a, the new international video security system standard coming out. And as you see on the timeline here, as it grows, the number of members grow. In 2011, we were up to 300 members and 1,000 products. In 2012, we were 400 members and 2,000 products. 2014, we met a, an all-time high. We had 500 members, and we were at that point approximately 2,700 Profile S. In that, in that time, Profile S conformant products. The number count have dropped a little bit, so we're now sort of hovering around the 500 mark. We had a, a board meeting um, the day before yesterday, and we were like 475 members at that point, and that is... Uh, 
I think uh, the most dominant type of member are, are manufacturer members. But the interesting thing is that we're very close to 7,000 commercially available conformant products. So you can really say that this this concept with the profile conformant product has been, been very well received in the market. After the profile S, we uh, continued with additional profiles. We, in 2013, we released a called profile C which is a, a very rudimentary access control product. Uh, pro, uh, profile, product Profile G in 2014, which deals with storage and playback in, for video devices. 2016, actually, the Profile Q was finally released. And that offers a little bit of out-of-the-box uh, out uh, behavior and also we introduced some more uh, features for security, which I will come back to. And in the pipeline now, we have a Profile A which is a more comprehensive prof uh, access control uh, profile, which is also going to be adopted by this IEC 60839 work. So it's, it's very good for us in that respect when the international standardization community adopts this, because that means uh, the, the industry sort of agrees that this is what we should work with, because when in standards, the worst thing you can have is competition. So uh, this is a good good way forward. Right. Thank Any you. questions at this point, Jim? Well, I was just going to ask, so, so Profile A builds on the work that you did in Profile C? Correct. Right, okay. And, and this idea of, as you said, um, creating profiles, so, so that, um, I'd, I'd like to sort of dig into that a little bit. Um, can you explain what that really means from um, perhaps a manufacturer's point of view? Does it just make it easier for them to understand what they need to what their products need to comply with? Well, it's it's partly that, but it's also also the fact when you're when we have when we design the profile and the profile concept, we also detached it from from uh, the version of specification on which is, it is built. So that means as long as the product or the profile is active and you are conformant, even if it's four or five years old, it will still work with newer products, newer, say, NVRs that are brought out to the market. Okay. Because I can take a panel perhaps with Bluetooth when they started to make the, their interoperability protocol on this radio thing. They worked with versions. And all of a sudden you, you went and bought, bought a car or you bought a headset to take it take it a little bit mildly. Two years later down the line, we had changed your phone, which has a newer version of the protocol, the Bluetooth protocol, and your and the interaction with your car or your headset doesn't work anymore. So they turn into profile and says, okay, we do headset profile. So regardless of when it was proven conformant to a profile, it stays like that as long as that profile lives. At one point, it will quite naturally be superseded because technology evolves, etc., etc. But it should. should the good it, thing here is that you will not ensure some backwards compatibility. Good. Exactly. And if you're a VMS manufacturer, that means you don't have to worry about this. You can more or less outsource the, the total driver maintenance to the OnBIF specification. And as long as the manufacturer sticks with the profile S and the test procedures. They don't have to care. They only do one implementation. And if you look at the, the feature set of Profile S, it will cover maybe 70, 75% of all camera deployments. 
because basically cameras are, they don't do much, they just sit there and record. Maybe they move a little bit in petrol zoom. So profile lens will cover most of the installation. And that is an enormous relief for the image manufacturer. Mm. And for end users, it's also a, a very good choice. Uh, they can bring in more competitors. They could uh, negotiate with the, uh, with the system integration manufacturer for best price because now they really have, have an option. Right. Um, okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. So did that answer your questions about profiles or is anything it, else coming in? It did. I was going to ask another question. I mean, obviously this deals with 2008 to present. I mean, when you, when you began this process, when, when you thought it up, I mean, where, what state was the industry in at that point? I mean, clearly there was some drivers behind, you know, the fact of Axis, Sony and Bosch getting together to, 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 to release and, and do this. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know the the technology or the uh, the industry, the the network video addressed was basically the analog CCTV industry. And the analog CCTV industry, they don't have an issue with compatibility. They, I mean, the every standard there was about thirty years old. You could buy a, a, a matrix or a, or a screen or a camera from any manufacturer, and you just knew, knew it would work. So the network networking video industry had a little bit of an obstacle to to justify and they were saying okay if I buy your system I'm stuck with your system for the rest of the life of this system which was basically true at that point in time but with this only if they can they can mix and match they can replace parts they can replace the head and keep the cameras of different manufacturers so it really gives them the similar feeling of this and also for uh, a little bit too, for the industry, uh, I think that goes also for Axis and Sony and Bosch, and it's better to stay in touch with the development than being trying to sort of play catch up all this. Yeah. I think now we're quite a few years later, we're like eight years later, where I think everyone is pretty, pretty happy with the development. Yeah. Some of the engineers in the group are more than happy with the, with the great acceptance from, from IEC and those guys and as, as a um, manufacturer um, what is because because I know we've got to the point now where you know in a sense uh, Omviv is, is expected by some end users what what is what is the process a manufacturer has to do to make sure that they have uh, a product that is compliant or, or meets this standard uh, they have to run it through what is called a test tool. And if you see sort of on the center of the, uh, uh, I think it's so small in my screen here. Uh, already 2009, we were looking at the test tool. And that is this type of verification software. And of course, that was then adopted to a, a real test tool for devices. So somewhere around 2011, you can see the device test tool 1.11 profile S release. Mm -hmm. So the test tool that Onvik provides to all its members, even for the lightest member, which is called an observer member, that could be media or just consultants or whoever, they get access to this test tool. So when you, you start a test tool with the products connected, you get a, a full protocol, a report, what's happening, you can track and trace what's going on, etc. 
and it tests all the capabilities and then it comes out and says, yes, you passed. Once you've done that, you will submit that report to the Onwith help desk together with some complementary documentation. The conformance process is very well defined on the website if someone wants to look at it in detail. And when all these criteria are fulfilled, then the product is listed as conformant to that profile. So it's quite, it's quite a rigorous uh, process that it has to go through. Right. Have you experienced um, or seen products then that where they haven't, or where they're saying that they're on with compliant and are not and haven't reached that standard or you've never heard of them? Of course we have. I mean, anything that you're trying to certify or make conformant, there will be companies trying to go around that. I mean, uh, in the security industry as a whole, say the fire, fire alarm industry, a counterfeit product is a huge problem. Uh, if you look at other organizations like UL, that they have, they have counterfeit programs. We go a little bit more easy. We have a reporting feature on the uh, on our website, where you can send the URL, uh, the additional information. You can do it anonymously if you like, or you can put your name behind it. And when that happens, we follow up and we. We contact the company and we send them a cease and desist letter and explain that they are now infringing a, a copyright process here. But most companies uh, actually uh, have done, or at least they claim, they, they say it's a mistake, they didn't know. There is a, a lot of OEM in the industry where you, where you buy a reference design and develop your camera. And if that reference design has only from the spec sheet, they just copy that onto their own spec sheet. Not knowing that they have to do that, and here in Sweden we have a, a huge do-it-yourself market called Biltema, and I can walk in there and I can find all these products because they buy this OEM from China. So, so we're we're encouraging our members, we're encouraging everyone in the community to, if you see any of these lists or any product that is listed that doesn't really appear in the members list, please submit that and we follow up. Because we, we really need to protect the investment that our member does, and also from the uh, for the uh, the profiles are not allowed to sort of deteriorate or somehow we want to protect what we have in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be it'd be good now just to widen the the conversation slightly. I'm, um, and we talked a little bit there about obviously profile A and some of your future plans, but. I mean, we're obviously seeing as well the the security industry be, being part of a you know this a wider um, uh, evolution in technology towards pervasive sensing networks and uh, and the Internet of Things. So, how does um, how as you um, you know running a standard organization, um, how are you looking at uh, for example, the Internet of Things, and 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 trying to trying to think about what's happening in the future and and, and standardizing for it. Mm -hmm. so, okay, let me continue with the initiative. I mean, Internet of Things. It sort of by by its name it implies that internet is connect, connected somehow, and everyone is really really aware of that. If things are connected to internet, they will be sort of uh, exposed. So we're looking at things like availability versus protection. Uh, if you want to make your, your your product or your device available, you have to sort of maybe somehow 
somehow compromise this. So you have to perhaps look, look behind uh, the particular feature of that product. I mean, if we look at our industry, the security industry as a whole, if we wanted to do something that was really, really safe, we would put it in, inside a three millimeter thick steel box. That's how we attacked this problem of, of safety before. But now it's different because things are connected. We can also look at things like, it's a little bit different threat scape than a PC. A PC sits on a desk, you have a human opening attachments of my, mails, etc. We have a large number of unmanaged devices. And in a security area, you, you really need to know what status your devices are in. And development in the security industry for IP-connected devices has been really, really, really rapid. Customers are not cyber mature. They don't see these problems, really. They don't, how should I say, realize the risk. And the tricky thing, or the dangerous thing now, is that with the very smart people that are out there, and that have a vicious purpose, they will try to find somewhere to sort of get a finger into the to the gap somewhere. They will plant some sort of malicious code that will open up something more. I mean, you can hear about things in the industry when, when company is getting attacked, and then you find out that the point of attack was actually an, an HVAC controller, because the HVAC controller didn't, didn't offer a good enough security. So, so Customers need really to be, be uh, how should I, educated around this. And we also have IoT vendors where they, where they look at the, the big number of features and, and benefits that are brought to us with the IoT type of systems. They, they forget about the, the, really, the real problems behind. But to people dealing with cybersecurity, there's a guy called Bruce Schneier. He's like a... I don't know if you heard about him. And what he says, security is, he doesn't, he doesn't say that security is vital to IT. That's what I say. But what he claims when it comes to this industry is that it's a process. It's not a product. Because you have people, you have technology mixed together. So it needs to be a process. It's surprisingly to see how many people that doesn't really manage their passwords in a correct way. So all these things, aspects of things is, are things that we, we need to take into cooperation. But from this point of view, we have really, up to now or up to recently, I would say, we have been focusing on when a device talks to a system. But as IT is growing, there are now systems that require access directly to devices on a network. And of course, you have to make sure that there are some sort of mechanisms so that communication is secure that device doesn't respond to, to anyone. So, so for us, in looking at the, the previous, uh, the previous slide, I said, it's much more easier to, to make a device hardened uh, compared to a PC because you don't have a, a human going in there and doing those things. You have less interaction uh, with that product to the surrounding world. You can do out-of-the-box hardening. You can get the manufacturers just to sort of prep your product. So once you put it into the network, it is already difficult to get into. And that's a little bit of the, the attitude <clears throat> most of the camera man, man, the manufacturer network cameras does. So naturally, always is trying to, to follow that. We also use independent researchers that will help us to find how exposed the product is to certain type of attacks. 
and thankfully the cyber awareness is increasing around us and they're, and they're asking for, for these features. But in the, in the sort of standardization industry, you have IEEE, which is uh, very well known in the, uh, in the networking industry. Most of the network standards are actually IEEE standards. You have IC, which is a global international standard. You have ISO, also international, and then you have ANSI, for example, which is the American, DIN is German, EDI is German. So all these sort of come together and, and think of this, that we have to be able to offer the basic fundamentals of creating uh, a secure product on the network. And that means, as I said earlier, if your product is, is not an IP network, enabled product, uh, you can't really keep up with this, because that's the whole trick of it. And we can see two possible developments here. Limited utilization of standards, you have isolated system silos. And I think I see that in some respect that some huge manufacturers or, or influential companies in the world, they build their, their silo. You can have a we're not saying too much, you can have a communicating room thermostat, and you can only communicate with devices that comes from the same consortium or from the same, same company. And if you do that, you will somehow create these proprietary systems. You will have a manufacturer lock-in, and you will have limited interoperability. Because once you start to, <clears throat> to build that type of system, say in your house or in your, in your organization, you have to stick with that, that, that one. And, as a standard standard provider, that's not really what we want to see. We want to see want to see a full utilization of standards. We want the devices to deploy all these available standards. And we would like to think and hope and believe that the standardization people keep on thinking in this way because that will be able to to create that openness and the unlimited interoperability. But everything of this has to be taken into account. So the role of standards, we say that true IT would not be possible without standards. And standards are not only technical, they're also procedures that have to play, come into play. And together they can achieve security. So look, <coughs> say locking with the key and throwing the key away is not the, the answer here. And security by obscurity is definitely not what is, what is preferred. That was a long, long speech. No, no. I, I, Any questions? Yeah. Well, I just pick out, obviously, the two things that you said there. One about there, which is written security by obscurity is not preferred, but also about, about mm. security or about security being a process as well, not a product. Mm -hmm. This is, this is um, something that we have to consistently work at. Uh, it's yeah, uh, it, and you know, it's not a quick fix. It's not just gonna, you know, we can't just stop thinking about security. It needs to be a consistently managed um, process within, you know, within uh, as if as a manufacturer within your, you know, your products or as a someone looking after systems. Then you have to think about about that on a daily basis. Make monitor them, make sure everything mm -hmm. is, um, is right. So yeah, I mean, it's. Um, as you said, standards being not just technical, and I think this seems to be from from what I from our research that we've done, looking at IoT. You know, there there is there is quite a few competing technical standards now. Um, 
but as you said, it's not just about that. It's also about procedural, and um, uh, and that's yeah. that's what's going to make us achieve um, security within that. I'm interested in your um, in your take on what the relationship is between cyber and physical security. Um, you know, we're seeing obviously that you know as as security industry by that I mean you know video and access as that's become more digitized of course it's becoming much more on the network and we're just seeing much more of that so how how are the two worlds combining slowly I would say well it depends a little bit on what industry you're looking at if you say for example network video where where uh, the the possible technical solutions will are much much wider than with analog CCTV. I mean, it comes with quality. It comes with things you can do with the with the video analytics and and things like this. So, in, I don't think that's that's the same type of scenario that we have, for example, with access control. Because in video, it's this is the way you do you do network video, and of course you have to take cyber security into account and I would say over the, the last 18, say 24 months, the increase about concern or, or discussions about the, the cyber security threats against network video is huge. It's really, really huge. So there's a lot of people active within this and as I said earlier, uh, most most manufacturers in the, in the network video uh, space today, they provide hardening guides. And if they don't, I really encourage any installer or integrator or, or user that listen to this to, to ask for the, the hardening guides. But even if they have hardening guides, they can only present what they do with you sort of in certain fields. You still have to have a an overall cybersecurity strategy for your entire installation. And even if you say, well, I don't have anything worth protecting here, there are, are malicious hackers out there. They don't care about value. They just see it as a challenge to be able to achieve something. So you really have to be on your toes. And that's a good thing that things are, are really, uh, how shall I say, developing and the awareness is increasing. If it comes to access control, physical access control, they have a, how would I say, a much more they're probably more mature when it comes to system than what video was like 10 years ago. And they have a pretty, pretty or much closer connection, I would say, to physical, physical boundaries. You, you put a door up and you put the card reader outside and it could be in a prison environment. It could be an extremely challenged environment. And they're used to that part in a way. But when it comes to cybersecurity, for access control products. I think that's a, a little bit of a more difficult area. And I would say that most access control companies, they prefer not to have their access control systems or even organizations attached to the internet because it's difficult. And also difficult from the point of view that if you take, for example, large organizations where they have an IT and a cyber strategy, if you go and buy yourself an access control system, you really need to make sure that that system is up to speed with all the latest software you need to protect it. Is it possible to, for example, use verified source codes, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a little bit of a, of a collision, I would say, 
and it's much tougher for the access control industry because they have they have been providing a, a protected environment much longer than the the network video people, and that's for that's and that's why also why it's a little bit more difficult for them to uh, to maybe adopt. And there's always a saying that you shouldn't try to fix something that isn't broke really, and I think with access control that is a little bit more the case. The systems that are out there. Providing they're not internet connected, they are pretty safe from from attacks. Hmm. Could actually, so it's something that a question here from the floor that kind of leads on from what you were saying there. Um, it, it's about well the fact that Onviv, I mean, has become a major force in in video surveillance, and I, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, it seems to be have been embraced by most of the manufacturers. Um, but are you seeing that? Uh, that same acceptance with access control manufacturers. Um, there seems to be sometimes a tendency, and you kind of alluded to it there, that perhaps f for, for, for credible reasons, you know, access control is, is more insular and more proprietary. So what, what do you think? Is that been a challenge to get more access control people on board? Absolutely. That is a challenge, well, but I would say it's, it's maybe also because of the uh, the origin of ONWIF and the setup of ONWIF when we started out. We were uh, network video only, and I think if you look also on the numbers in the industry, in the security industry as a whole, the, the growth potential in network video over the past 10 years has been much, much higher than for the access control industry. So there is more more engagement by companies, and and as I said, one of the, uh, the early objectives for starting on with was to remove that obstacle of problems with interoperability to make it easier to deploy IPV networks. And of course, that worked. So that is, that is one of the reasons why, why we have so many video members within on with. When it comes, comes to access control, I wouldn't say that openness in the market has been in in the same type of demand because, as I said, the system in the proprietary way that they have been have been sort of working quite well. But we're, we're getting there and we have uh, we get sort of feedback from larger organizations that, especially those that merge with other companies, etc., they say, well, we need something that is more flexible, that you can have different manufacturers sort of connecting to the same system. They find it not necessarily, I mean, it's not justified or justifiable to rip out a three-year three-year-old access control system, or maybe 500 readers, just because you you want to have something else. So, so slowly but surely, we can see that there is an end-user attitude that leaves a change. And if you look at the members' list of only if you will see that there are some pretty significant access control players as well. And to me, that sort of indicates that even if they're not so active in promoting, they're preparing or they're, they're sort of making sure that they have a, how shall I say, that they hit the ground running when it happens. Mm. So, uh, if, I mean, if we look at basically when we came out with Pro Profile C, we believe that there was a demand in the market for, say, uh, building automation systems and VMS systems and those just to pick up a few signals like a door status and stuff like this. And that's what basically what, what Profile C was. But once it was released, they, the pool wasn't really there. We still got, got a lot of questions and a lot of companies say it's a brilliant idea and 
this can this makes it easier for smaller players to challenge the bigger ones. But talking saying is one thing, doing is another one. So we concluded at that point, ordered at that point, that we needed perhaps a more comprehensive access access control profile. So that's what we we're working on on providing hopefully towards the end of this year. Right, and that's good. And it's, I think, and maybe, and maybe that's why the promote part also for month comes in. That we have to be a bit more promotional about things we do and communicating the benefits that the members we have to believe in, and to sort of get that out on the on the market. Right. Yeah. I mean, this it's the challenge of also letting people know that this isn't just about um, video anymore. Of course, it's 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 wider than that. Um, but, um, and we, we talked a little, you mentioned sort of their profile A, right? The one that's going to be released later this year. Um, mm -hmm. what is, what, what is the future? I mean, is there a, a roadmap that's set out now for the next, for, for the next year or year and a half? <clears throat> uh, it is, I mean. Let me start off with, with uh, a little bit what Onovich is doing about the security issue. And then, sure. and I really want to say that we do have a, a permanent working group with Onovich. It's just not something that is, is uh, assembled ad hoc when we have an issue. We have a permanent working group because the, the topic of IT security is, is really there. Uh, and with, as you saw in the, in the timeline, we released a profile queue, which is actually um, supporting certification uh, certificate-based client authentication and key store, providing that the product has support for it in, in its native version. You have to remember that Onwif is just an interface. So if there is no native support for the, for that feature in the in the device itself, Onwif doesn't sort of perform any tricks for this. So Onwif can only communicate with existing features, and and this is where Manufacturers differs a little bit. Some manufacturers has a very broad uh, understanding of, of cybersecurity, for example, and what type of features and function you need. Certificate-based client authentication is very, very fundamental. But if you start to scrutinize that with different manufacturers, you will see that there is a, maybe not all of them have it. Uh, and that also means TLS server. And the general design goals will be that we should be able to accommodate those things. And going forward, uh, this is like a continuous work. And going forward, uh, you saw very early in the beginning that we're part of this IEC, ISO group that works with uh, H.265. And that, of course, is also of interest for for the ONBIF members to have an interface uh, with this. So that's, that's something we're working on. It's quite a large job. Uh, especially when we also have to be uh, providing for the history a little bit, so so we have to we have had to do a little bit of sort of drastic uh, rewrites of things that we have done before. But we're totally focused on on being able to provide a, a profile that can manage the H.265. So that's what that's what we're we're having in the pipeline. We're also formed what is called the use case working group. And that's uh, maybe a way to open up for uh, input from uh, the market, uh, different maybe from just manufacturers, or anyone can become a, a member and join this use case working group and 
and effectively start to talk about changes you want to see with this with the ongoing standard. One very hot topic, for example, is uh, uh, safe cities, secure cities, or PSIM, which I'm quite sure you're familiar with. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Where, yeah, a lot of PSIM uh, manufacturers are, are increasingly annoyed by the hard work they have to perform every time they integrate with a new system. It's really a bid one to maintain forever scenario. So they would love to see a way where, it, where it's much more standardized to retrieve data out of a other system. And uh, only if we already had some members that had turned the concept around a little bit and offering a what they call an only bridging. That means that they expose their entire BMS system as an only profile G client to the outside. So an outside system being a PC or a BS system can actually retrieve uh, recordings from a BMS system by that. And, and that is a little bit of a trend. It's big data plays into it because you see all the big actors. You have the Alcatellus and the IBMs. They really want to get hands of, of the data and start to churning this and come out with, with things that anyone can benefit from. So uh, I would say definitely the, beyond the point of no return when it comes to how do we deal with integration. And only, maybe we should, we would, should reflect or we shall reflect what's happening in the market and picking up on the market demand. So this use case working group is an excellent platform. And we also see that from the interest of companies joining that they have, they have vision. And that's very good. Mm. Good, yeah. And as you said, it's... Uh having that permanent working group um, is, is a big advantage, right? Being able to... Um, it is. Yeah, to, to respond to, uh, to, to changes. And uh, technology is moving so fast that um, we've yeah. all got to try and, and keep pace with it. Just um, a quick word. And, and, yeah. Everyone uh, listening in. Again? Um, I was just going to say a, a quick word to people listening in. If um, you have some questions, we've had a couple... Um, but please uh, type them in. Um, we've got about uh, 15 minutes left, so now would be a good time to ask Per or even myself um, some some questions. Per, I see on that slide um, you use a bullet point there. It's a TLS server. What what is that referring to? That's the, the uh, being able to uh, interface with with the TLS server. Okay. So that's the, the title protection protection of the uh, of the layer. So it's secure communication between the device and the system. Right. Okay. And yeah, I mean it's uh, I don't know if there's much to say about it as as uh, as such, but it's um, how should I say most sort of secure communications are based on TLS. I mean, if you have HTTP and HTTPS and things like this. So it's, how should I say, it, it replaces what used to be the SSL. Okay. So if you, maybe most people remember that, what that was. So this is a, an advancement of that. So it's about crypto, cryptography to actually secure the communication between the devices. Okay. Which, of course, is a, is a very basic part of, of cybersecurity, that if you have a communication line, so. I mean, we all see Notion 11 and those 
and speed and all, all these different movies where you can tap in. And that's not really how it works in reality. So if you have a encrypted connection between your device and your, your server, it's a, it's a sort of basic requirement. Yeah, understood. Did you have some more slides to go through? I don't. This is my last slide, actually. So I, I, I guess my sure. one of my um, next questions would be um, about some of the major challenges that, that you've faced. I mean, now you're into what your your eighth year, so um, as as a standard, it's it's maturing. Uh, I mean, what were some of the things that that were particularly challenging, and also what how do you see that then, um, or, or, or things that may present challenges in the in the near future I think one of the uh, the challenges we have is to sort of maintain the focus really the development focus within onlyf uh, even though we're uh, we're a lot of members we're not that many companies that really actively work with this and in I mean 80 percent is like what we say even more is are user members, and I mean user members, they they uh, implement the protocols and they they make the products conforming and they start selling. So they don't really contribute to to the development work. And that is a in all standardization, not only on the even in in IEC, in ISO, etc. It's all built on voluntary work from people. So there is no one that is paid that is getting paid for working with only. So the challenge is to motivate the companies to uh, sell them the concept of be here, be part of changing your future. It's easier to be in control than being controlled. So that is a, that is a challenge. Right now we have a challenge to uh, promote the profile A with access control and making the industry accept this. We have had uh, various attempts where we're trying to, or where we want to, to receive feedback from members and also from the markets, from other industry. It could be intrusion alarms, for example, to see where their interest in access or in, in OMIF would be. So it's, it's a, how should I say, it's a, a continuous work to keep, to keep the wheels running or turning. You can never sort of settle back and say we're done because I don't think we're done. Especially not think when we're in the IT, we're based on a lot of IT features. Things are changing constantly. There are new compression methods. There are smarter ways of doing this and smarter way of doing that. So uh, we need to stay stay on our toes and pick up on those and make sure they get implemented. Right. Yeah. There is a, uh, a question here for you. Um, how does artificial intelligence help with video surveillance? And is Onviv working on any such use cases? I mean, is this something in the back of your mind about how perhaps you might in the future develop a profile? Well, AI is, uh, I think, is a bit of a sci-fi topic still. Uh, yeah. So going back to what I said earlier, we're, we're, we make interfaces. So for us to really... Uh, get into that area. We need we need to have manufacturers actually providing the features. I mean, you can already look at the very advanced uh, video analytics. Yeah, we don't, 
do anything about sta standardization of the analytics itself. But an analytic will generate some sort of output. And if that is used by many, then I think it makes, makes sense to standardize on that. So we're not driving the technical development like for AI in, in the uh, network video industry. But if there started to become a presence of those and the industry say, hey, we would like to interface to this in a standardized way, then we will probably see that our members will, will uh, raise that question and we start to work with that. Everything is controlled with what the members say. Right, and and you are. Um, it's of course not your job as a standard to innovate in the market. It's to react and make sure that things are done in a proper, open way. Yes, and and allow this because there is because there is really one fundament, and that is in in the industry. We really need to have some headroom for differentiation amongst the manufacturers. If you standardize too much you remove the incentive for differentiation and then innovation will slowly slowly go away. Right, yeah, of course. Uh, I just have a couple of questions um, left for you. I think one is, um, uh, you know, we obviously OnViv is an open standard, but I think it's interesting to define what that really means. Because there are companies, and not just in security, but elsewhere that talk about having an open platform where really you know it doesn't it might mean that it's just accessible to some part it doesn't perhaps mean that it's open source or or really that it's major contributions by people so can you put that into you know your thoughts on on what it really means to be open and why that's mm. important why that's important i mean um, to begin with onlyf is not as such an open standard because it costs money to become a member and to get your product conformant and use it. So it, it's open to anyone to become a member. An open standard is all, all often referred to, you can use this, there are no licenses or anything, but at the same time there are no liabilities and this and that. So for, for I think for to be a provider of the type of standard we are, it needs to be that way. It involves a lot of things. It involves the the uh, handling of uh, IPR issues, it, it involves the handling of testing procedures, the test tools, etc., etc. Because if you just put a standard out there and how things work in the, in the many times in the technology field, there will always be manufacturers that trying to take the easiest way out. And if too many start to do that, the, the whole reputation of the standard is compromised because then it doesn't really work and you start to see patchwork, etc. So the way we approach openness is that, yes, you, it's open to anyone, but you have to become a member and then you can use it. Then we also have certain some criteria for testing and this and that to, to join this. When people say open systems, I think they normally talk about that the, the interfaces they provide are open. You have manufacturers in the network media industry who says our APIs, you can download our APIs, they're open and free to use, but they're still proprietary APIs for that specific manufacturer. But they're open to anyone. And anyone having understanding what this means is that, oh, they're open, I can use it free of charge. But the investment I make by implementing this is locking me into that specific manufacturer. So then the openness might 
not give you exactly what you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you for that. I think my last thing, and again, um, just a final thing to anyone listening, if um, this is uh, probably last opportunity. So if, um, if you do have any questions for us, um, any more, I should say, then please, uh, please type them in. Uh, was, you know, I mean, and I guess that's, it's really just to, for you to pitch to, to people listening. I mean, wh what is it that, that, why should people help with OnViv? And, um, and if, and, and, and what does it actually mean? How can they help you develop this standard and, and actually, you know, bring about more operability within, uh, in security? Well, it's basically basically about uh, bringing us good use cases. If I mean, if, if end users or integrators come up with great ideas that the, that the the industry or the users or the the uh, installers can benefit from, then of course it should be brought on. With. This use case working group uh, is given the privilege also to go, to search outside the OnWith members. We can, we have in the charter, we have expressed the possibility to uh, host seminars, to invite uh, <clears throat> user organizations into discussions, etc. Because what we, if we should reflect the real demand for interoperability in the market, we need to get those inputs and to start working with them. And of course, if we get a lot of input for, for very useful things, the more resources we have to develop those, the quicker they will reach the market. So again, it's maybe a, an opportunity for manufacturers and organizations to really control your destiny or be controlled. Mm. So if, you, uh, if your heart bleeds for some specific features, then you can, you can go about and join the, the use case work group and present your case. And once that is sort of matched with roadmaps, et cetera, then, then it can happen. Got a final question here that's come in from the floor. Um, what are the common integrations that have been made possible um, with using OnViv that weren't possible before? Have you got an example of, of that? I would say if you were specifically looking for something which was more difficult to achieve before is with the profile G that you can place uh, uh, hard drives on the network. And if the, if the hard drive with a small processor uh, supports profile G, that could act as a remote storage to VMS. In certain applications, you can't, maybe you can't really make sure that your network connection to the device and the, and the system or the storage is is really, really reliable, so you need some intermediate storage. So that's possibly one, one good achievement. I mean, you can, you can say that you can create sat satellite storage to your VMS. But apart from that, I would say most of the deployments um, is, of course, when I talk about video, is, is that you can, you can mix. You can mix several manufacturers into one system. You can give the buyer uh, higher power to control what type of equipment that goes in. We have consultants that actually just shortlist maybe two, three VMSs and four or five camera manufacturers, and they present them to the end user or to the decision maker and say, here, here we all have equivalent products. 
It's up to you. You can put together what you like and then you can match that in your procurement process. So it gives the buyers a little bit more power actually. And also one thing is that as we're using a standard which is now with the profiles a little bit more resistant to change over time, it gives a lot of uh, peace of mind and comfort for everyone, for the manufacturer, for the VMS integrator and for the end user. Yeah. You don't have to be worried that your camera gets updated that quick or you, you don't get software updates. When the VMS company provides a software update, or maybe it's just a security upgrade to a system, as long as the profile has conformance stays there, all the equipment will profile as well. Great. Per, if, um, if anyone out there wants more information, um, I know you guys have a website, of course, uh, omviv.org, is that mm -hmm. right? Um, um, if they've got yes, follow-up questions for you, how what's the best way of um, of them getting hold of you or someone at, at Omviv? Um, either they could contact what is called the help desk to forward questions, or um, I think the help desk would be a good input. And if you clearly state that this is a technical question that I want to get an answer for those. Questions are then forwarded to the various people in the organization to respond. Great. So I'm just going to try and wrap things up now and say that's yeah. fantastic. Thank, thank you. Jim, for Jim, yes. Jim, we're, also on, we're also on Twitter, if that helps. Ah, there you go. Okay. And Yeah. And, and it happens that we do get technical questions on Twitter. So, so they're getting forwarded also to the relevant people okay. to respond to that. You've just got to try and answer that in 140 characters, which I guess isn't very yes. good. <laughs> that's, a, that's a technical challenge in itself. I yeah. want to say, obviously, thank you, Per. Um, just to let everybody out there know, um, we have a new website, memory.com. So we will be uh, posting up the audio recording of, of this so you can listen again. And also you can find information there about security and other smart building uh, related technologies uh, and also to say thank you to Tridium our sponsor uh, and also to say that uh, we have an, uh, another webinar next uh, next month the 12th of September and that's going to be about demystifying the IoT and smart buildings so look forward to that and I'll be sending out more information so again, just reminds me to say thanks to Per and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, Jim, for giving, giving me the opportunity. No problem at all. So yeah, goodbye to everyone out there. Thank you and goodbye.